Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. Uh, there's a couple of anniversaries. On February 22nd, 1848, a large crowd gathered in downtown Paris to demonstrate its anger against King Louis-Philippe I uh, and demand the resignation of his prime minister, François-Pierre-Guillaume Guizot. Uh, the following day, Guizot, Guizot's resignation was overshadowed when French soldiers fired on the crowd, massacring more than 50 of them and kicking off the French Revolution of 1848. The revolution toppled Louis-Philippe uh, and instituted the French Second Republic, which lasted until 1852, when its president, Louis-Napoleon Bonaparte, a.k.a. Napoleon III, declared himself emperor, as his uncle had done in 1804. Uh, Louis-Philippe was the last king of the French, uh, and other than the lesser Napoleon, the last monarch to rule France before it became a republic uh, to the present day. Uh in on February twenty third, fourteen fifty five, this is the traditionally accepted date uh, for the publication of the Gutenberg Bible, which is one of the first books mass printed in Europe using movable metal type, and certainly the most famous. Uh, Johannes Gutenberg's uh, work helped usher in the age of printing. Uh, books could now be produced at, a, at such a volume that they became affordable and available to a wider segment of the public. And printing works in vernacular languages rather than just Latin became more viable. Uh, really hard to hard to overestimate the impact uh, of that development in terms of uh, Western history, especially. Uh, also, on February 23rd in 1966, leaders of the Syrian regional branch of the Ba'ath Party pulled off a coup d'etat, ousting the old guard party leadership. This was mostly uh, a fight between the internationalist Ba'ath Party, which saw uh, the party's role as sort of a pan-Arab movement. Uh, of course, the Ba'ath Party had another branch in Iraq. Uh, and the Syrian, I would say Syrian nationalist almost branch of the Ba'ath Party, uh, which wanted to limit its horizons to dealing with uh, Syria and its issues. The nationalist uh, wing of the party won. It ousted uh, the uh, traditionalists, those who saw the Ba'ath Party as a pan-Arab movement and who were looking uh, beyond Syria to bigger and better things, uh, and is the reason why the Syrian and Iraqi branches uh, of the Ba'ath Party split and really didn't get along with each other very well uh, after that. Uh, the Iraqi branch uh, welcomed the old guard leadership from Syria and sort of pretended, I think, to maintain the pan-Arab nature of the Ba'ath Party, although it was uh, pretty nationalistic too. And by the time uh, our old friend Saddam Hussein ro rose to party leadership uh, in the 1970s, it was uh, it was pretty much an Iraqi-only, an Iraq-only movement. Uh, but uh, this was the, the coup that sort of resulted uh, or precipitated the split uh, and took the Ba'athist movement from something that had really been a genuinely pan-Arab thing uh, to just another political party running a couple of, uh, a couple of Arab countries. Uh, on to the news, uh, an international news. U.S. President Joe Biden has nominated former MasterCard chief executive uh, Ajay Banga to replace the outgoing David Malpass as president of the World Bank. Banga will almost certainly be confirmed given how much sway the U.S. has in terms of bank administration. 
And he'll be taking over amid a global debt crisis and growing calls for the bank to focus its resources on supporting clean energy and climate amelioration projects. I have no idea what his environmental record is, and given his background, I'm not entirely sure that he has one. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see what emerges during the confirmation process, uh, if anything. Uh, In the Middle East, uh, in Syria, according to Reuters, it was UAE Foreign Minister Sheikh Abdullah bin Zayed al-Nayyan who persuaded Syrian President Bashar al-Assad to give the United Nations permission to open additional corridors for humanitarian aid from southern Turkey into earthquake-ravaged northwestern Syria. Visiting Damascus the day before Assad gave his assent, uh, it seems Abdullah convinced him that the new corridors would be regarded as a gesture of goodwill by the international community. Assad's decision has certainly allowed aid groups operating in northwestern Syria to intensify their efforts in the aftermath of the earthquake. It also suggests that the UAE, which has gone further than most other Arab nations in rebuilding its relationship with Assad, is now in a position maybe to influence his decision-making here and there, perhaps. Uh, In Israel-Palestine, unsurprisingly, the Israeli military responded to rocket fire out of Gaza, which we uh, covered in yesterday's newsletter, uh, which is courtesy of Palestinian Islamic Jihad, uh, and happened early Thursday morning, responded with airstrikes on targets it identified as a weapons factory and a military camp belonging to Hamas. Uh, There's been no indication of casualties, either from the rockets or the airstrikes. The rockets were fired in retaliation for an Israeli raid in the West Bank city of Nablus on Wednesday, in which at least 11 people people were killed, including two PIJ commanders. West Bank violence is now likely likely to worsen, I would say, now that the far-right pro-settler finance minister uh, Bezalel Smotrich has been given oversight of the territory under a special position within the Israeli Defense Ministry. That second gig was Smotrich's price for agreeing to join Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition, and his aim is essentially to bring Israeli settlements under Israeli civilian law rather than under the leave them under the military rule that currently governs the entire West Bank. Uh, this is de facto annexation. It's not officially annexing those settlements into Israel proper, but it is uh, just about the same thing uh, under a different name. Uh, So it will be interesting to see uh, what the ramifications of that are. Uh, In Oman, uh, for example, uh, we will have to wait and see if any of Israel's Abraham Accords partners chafe uh, at what Smotrich is planning to do, given the part of their rationale for normalizing relations with Israel back in 2020, uh, was to stop Netanyahu's admittedly more expansive annexation plans. Uh, now, one country, Oman, that did not join the Abraham Accords, uh, announced on Thursday that it will allow Israeli commercial aircraft to pass through its airspace. Well, this is not as big a deal as Saudi Arabia's decision to open its airspace for Israeli flights last year. This will nevertheless give Israeli carriers a more direct route to several Asian destinations. Uh, The Omani government has long maintained a cordial, if informal, relationship with Israel, but has rejected the idea of normalization absent a settlement to the Israeli-Palestine conflict, or the Israel-Palestine conflict, rather. Uh, Muscat did establish formal diplomatic relations with the Vatican on Thursday, so they've got that going for them, which is nice. Uh, The Vatican now has diplomatic ties with every Arabian Peninsula nation except the Saudis. Get on that. Uh, in Iran, uh, the Noor News outlet, which is linked with the Iranian government, 
seemingly confirmed on Thursday uh, that International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors have discovered traces of 84% enriched uranium in Iran. That's a story that Bloomberg News broke over the weekend. Uh, I mentioned it in Sunday's newsletter. The Iranians are claiming that this discovery reflects inspector error or, and I'm quoting here, a deliberate action to create political atmospheres against Iran, end quote, uh, and does not mean that Iranian officials have decided to start enriching uranium to that level. Uh, it is possible that a stray sample showed higher levels of enrichment than what the Iranians are actually doing, uh, but the discovery itself probably puts the burden of proof on the Iranians to prove to, to demonstrate uh, that they are not enriching to 84%. Uh, elsewhere, and this is sort of uh, just kind of breaking as I was finishing up the newsletter tonight, there have been reports of gunfire, possibly anti-aircraft fire, and explosions in the Iranian city of Karaj, which is uh, near uh, Tehran, late Thursday night. Iranian authorities are claiming this was all part of some sort of military exercise. Uh, that seems somewhat implausible in a populated area at uh, I think it was, you know, quarter to midnight uh, on Thursday night. This just seems uh, a little strange to me, but it's not, uh, doesn't doesn't mean that's not what was going on. Just seems a little weird. Uh, but I would say the possibility of yet another Israeli attack uh, on Iran cannot be ruled out following the uh, the attack last month on Isfahan. On to Asia. According to Eurasia Net, Azerbaijani President Ilham Aliyev has made a, a significant adjustment uh, in his negotiations with the Armenian government. Uh, I'll just read you a couple of paragraphs here. Azerbaijan has offered a new proposal to Armenia in the ongoing peace negotiations between the two countries to allow Armenian checks of Azerbaijani traffic along what Baku calls the Zangazur Corridor in exchange for the establishment of Azerbaijani checkpoints on the road connecting Armenia to Nagorno-Karabakh. The move would effectively give up on the larger geopolitical vision of the Zangazur Corridor, a seamless transportation route connecting Azerbaijan to Turkey and beyond. At its most fanciful, it was envisioned, envisaged as a road to, quote, unite the entire Turkic world. Uh, Azerbaijan President Ilham Aliyev has even repeatedly threatened to use force if Armenia doesn't allow the corridor to be built. Uh, now, though, Aliyev says that Baku would accept Armenian checkpoints on the road when it enters and leaves Armenian territory. Uh, quote, it would be good if Armenia and Azerbaijan established checkpoints on the Armenia-Azerbaijan border bilaterally, end quote, he told reporters on February 18th. Quoting again, checkpoints should be established at both ends of the Zangazur Corridor and the border between the Lachine district of Azerbaijan and Armenia, end quote. Uh, this is a pretty big change. Until now, he's uh, emphasized that there should be no customs checks uh, on any of these things. So now he's kind of, kind of falling back. Uh, the principle remains the same, I guess, which is that uh, both corridors would be treated the same way. Uh, but uh, this is this is 180 degrees away from what he has been uh, talking about until now. Uh, an Azerbaijani customs post on the Lachine Corridor leaves that corridor vulnerable to being closed off, uh, which effectively would blockade Karabakh uh, and could lead to some disastrous things. It's, uh, it's likely that officials in Karabakh will oppose such a, such a development strenuously, uh, but it's unclear how much that opposition will affect the Armenian government's thinking uh, as it uh, continues these peace talks with Azerbaijan. 
in Afghanistan. The Afghan government has decided to reopen the Torkham border crossing with Pakistan, which it closed Sunday night. It would seem the Pakistani delegation, delegation that visited Kabul on Wednesday uh, must have made a good impression, I guess. Uh, the thousands of truck drivers who have been stuck in traffic on either side of the border since Sunday will no doubt be happy to get moving again. Uh, as to why they closed the crossing in the first place, Afghan officials say it was because the Pakistanis had been refusing to allow Afghan nationals in need of medical care to enter Pakistan. So uh, at least that's their story. They're sticking to it. Uh, in China, uh, China's deputy U.N. ambassador Dai Bing told the U.N. General Assembly on Thursday that the first year of the Ukraine war proves, quote, that sending weapons will not bring peace, end quote. Presumably, this was a shot at the U.S., which has sent a lot of weapons to Ukraine, uh, although I'm sure U.S. officials would say that they did so to prevent the peace that would have followed uh, from a quick Russian victory. And I put peace in quotes because it probably wouldn't have been very peaceful. Uh, I mentioned Dai's comment because it is incongruous. Uh, with claims this week from U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg alleging that China is about to start supplying weapons to the Russian military. Chinese officials have rejected those allegations. Uh, even European Union Foreign Policy Chief Josef Borrell told reporters on Thursday that he spoke with senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi during the Munich Security Conference last week, uh, and Wang assured him that China is not planning to arm the Russians. However... Uh, the German news magazine Der Spiegel reported on Thursday that the Russian military is in talks with a Chinese firm, uh, Jean Bingo Intelligent Aviation, or Jean Bingo Intelligent Aviation. Uh, obviously, my Chinese is non-existent, so apologies if I'm uh, messing up any of this. Uh, sorry, Jean Bingo Intelligent Aviation Technology. Uh, they're in talks with this firm about purchasing a hundred. ZT-180 drones. Uh, these are loitering munitions or kamikaze drones, which are apparently similar to the Iranian Shahed-136 drones that the Russians have been uh, allegedly, I guess, using in Ukraine. Uh, according to this report, the deal could also include the establishment of a facility to manufacture more of these drones in Russia. The Russians may also, according to Der Spiegel again, uh, be circling a deal with a second Chinese firm to provide parts for their Sukhoi Su-27 fighter aircraft. None of this is confirmed, but it does put a little bit of meat on these vague claims uh, that Blinken and Stoltenberg have been making this week. Uh, so who knows? I guess we'll find out one way or the other. Uh, in North Korea, the North Korean military test-fired four Hwasal-2 cruise missiles off of the country's eastern coast on Friday. Uh, state media says they traveled 2,000 kilometers, which would put them in the long-range or strategic category. Uh, the test was apparently meant to demonstrate North Korea's ability to launch a nuclear counterattack. Uh, that presumably means these missiles are nuclear capable, though I have to confess, I haven't been able to find any information about the Hwasal-2 other than reports on this very test. So it may be a brand new designation, which means nobody will really know anything about it yet. Uh, it may be worth noting that it was the North Koreans who broke the news of this launch, uh, suggesting that the Japanese, South Korean, and U.S. militaries who uh, generally monitor these things and are usually first to announce them may not have even known that it happened. Uh, the test took place while the U.S. and South Korean officials, while U.S. and South Korean officials were engaged in a tabletop military exercise, ironically enough, simulating a North Korean nuclear strike. So good news all around. 
out there on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, in Africa, an apparent jihadist attack killed at least 12 members of Burkina Faso's paramilitary volunteers for the defense of the fatherland, or VDP, security force uh, in the country's center-north region uh, on Wednesday. VDP personnel are basically given uh, guns uh, and two weeks of military training, and they're sent out on military support missions where they're more often than not sitting ducks for more seasoned jihadist militants. Uh, it's one of the centerpieces of Burkina Faso's anti-jihadist campaign, uh, but I would say the people who volunteer for it are, are really not uh, served very well by what they're, the support that they're given uh, from the Burkina Bay government. In Nigeria, with two days to go before that country's general election, a Senate candidate and a campaign worker were killed in two separate attacks in southeastern Nigeria's Enugu state on Thursday. Authorities are blaming Biafran separatist militants for both incidents. Uh, police were apparently able to thwart another attack targeting, targeting a candidate for state governor. Uh, increasingly, it looks like the Labor Party's Peter Obi will emerge victorious in Saturday's presidential election. He certainly seems to be the most popular of the candidates, though uh, if you uh, read Alex Thurston's piece here at FX earlier this month about the, the Nigerian presidential election, there are serious questions as to whether Labor, which is sort of an upstart, uh, not one of the country's two main parties, whether it has the infrastructure as a party to translate Obi's popularity into actual votes. Uh, a new concern has now arisen over the Nigerian government's controversial controversial secure, uh, currency exchange program or currency changeover program where they've been replacing uh, old banknotes with new ones, which has led to a cash shortage around the country. Uh, this currency crunch could have unpredictable effects on voter turnout, and it's reportedly left a number of election observer groups struggling to kind of get their operations going because they're out of cash to hire people or to pay for things. Uh, so it, it could have some uh, interesting and I don't mean interesting in a good way, uh, effects on a Saturday's election, it remains to be seen. Uh, in Somalia, fighting between Somaliland security forces and militias in and around the town of Lasanod has killed at least 96 people and left some 560 wounded over the past two weeks, according to the main local hospital in that town. Uh, that's despite a unilateral ceasefire declared by Somaliland authorities on February 10th. Indeed, the ceasefire seems to have had little or no effect on the conflict, with Somaliland officials arguing that their forces are still fighting, but only in self-defense, of course. Uh, the militias have tried to declare independence from Somaliland, which itself declared independence from Somalia in 1991, with the intention either of joining Somalia's autonomous Puntland region uh, or establishing a new regional administration under the Somali federal government. Uh, in Europe, uh, starting in Russia, it would appear that Wagner Group boss Yevgeny Prigozhin's beef with the Russian Defense Ministry has ended, at least temporarily, as he announced on Thursday that his mercenary fighters are getting the ammunition that he spent all week demanding. Prigozhin naturally credited himself for pressuring the ministry to deliver the ammo he previously claimed it was withholding in an effort to destroy Wagner due, I guess, to jealousy over its perceived battlefield successes. Uh, the Russian military has denied that it was withholding ammo and obliquely suggested uh, that Prigozhin's complaints were treasonous and that they were providing aid and comfort to Ukraine. Nevertheless, uh, the, the fighting, uh, all the fussing and feuding seems to be uh, uh, at a lull for now. 
Uh, in there are several stories from Ukraine. Uh, Friday will, of course, mark one year since the Russian invasion began, and the Russians appear to be commemorating the milestone by intensifying their assault on the eastern Ukrainian city of Bakhmut. The Ukrainian military reported 90 Russian attacks to the north and south of the city from Wednesday into Thursday. Ukrainian officials have suggested that Russia's aim in escalating their offensive is to deplete Ukrainian forces, which doesn't explain why the Ukrainians are obliging them by putting up such a strenuous defense of a city whose strategic value is at the very least debatable. Uh, The U.S. and the rest of the G7 are likely to mark Friday's anniversary with announcements of new aid for Ukraine and new economic sanctions against Russia. The Biden administration previewed the new sanctions package on Thursday with the White House saying it will target Russian banks, tech and defense firms, and individuals tied to the war effort. The Ukrainian parliament on Thursday imposed a 50-year ban on Russian financial institutions operating in Ukraine, the impact of which may be more symbolic than tangible. At the U.N., meanwhile, the General Assembly on Thursday voted 141 to 7, with 32 abstentions, to condemn the Russian invasion. Only Belarus, Eritrea, Mali, Nicaragua, uh, North Korea, and Syria were willing to join Russia in voting against the resolution. Uh, Bad blood over the war also apparently impacted an Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, or OSCE, meeting in Vienna, most of whose delegates walked out of Thursday's session when the Russian delegation began to address the body. In Sweden, uh, the parliamentary floor leader of Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban's Fidesz party, uh, whose name is Mate Kodzis, uh, again, my Hungarian is non-existent, so apologies, uh, said on Thursday that Budapest is planning to send a delegation to Sweden and Finland next week to discuss both countries' NATO accession processes. Hungary is the only NATO member other than Turkey that hasn't yet ratified both countries' applications, and according to Kodzis, this is because some members of the ruling party feel that certain unnamed Finnish and Swedish politicians, quote, have insulted Hungary in a crude, unfound and often vulgar manner in recent years, end quote. Uh, my goodness. Uh, something about this doesn't ring entirely true. Uh, Orban insisted last year, uh, despite his warm relationship with Russian President Vladimir Putin, uh, that the Hungarian government would, that his government would approve both Finland and Sweden uh, as NATO members. And as far as intra-party politics go in Fidesz, uh, Orban usually or always really gets what he wants. Uh, so it's unlikely that he's being stymied by some recalcitrant group of legislators. Uh, I'm not sure what's actually going on here, but uh, I, I don't know that this story makes sense on its face. Uh, and finally, in the Americas, uh, Connor Eccles from Responsible Statecraft reports on the Biden administration's newly unveiled as of Thursday policy around arms sales. Uh, I'll read you a couple of paragraphs from his piece. The State Department is now instructed to block U.S. arm transfers to any country that will, quote, more likely than not, end quote, use them to commit serious human rights violations. Officials previously had to have actual knowledge, that was the standard uh, in the law, that American weapons would be used to perpetrate such offenses. The new rule, quote, gives a decision maker who wants to honor human rights a better capability to do that than the actual knowledge standard, end quote, according to Jeff Abramson Abramson of the Arms Control Association. Uh, U.S. officials have not specified which countries could be affected by the policy. The change, which Reuters first reported on Wednesday, is part of President Joe Biden's long-awaited conventional arms transfer policy. The document outlines 
outlines the administration's general approach to foreign security assistance and includes guidance for the State Department, the Pentagon, and the Commerce Department. Experts say that Biden's CAT policy represents a significant shift from that of President Donald Trump, uh, which emphasized the economic benefits of U.S. weapons sales while discounting risks of abuse. Uh, end quote. Um, uh, me personally, I'm not sure that better than Donald Trump is the standard to which the Biden administration should aspire. But here we are. Uh, certainly the administration's record on arms deals over its first two years, uh, check with Egypt, for example, uh, doesn't suggest that it intends to take a very strict approach to the more likely than not standard, particularly not at a time when, partly thanks to the Ukraine war, the global arms trade is booming. And I'm sure uh, the U.S. security establishment uh, and the, the folks who are uh, operating within it uh, would much prefer to grow their weapons market share rather than risk shrinking it. So I don't imagine uh, you're going to see a lot of change to uh, the way the U.S. does business in this uh, this arena. But uh, I'm happy, as always, uh, to be proven wrong in my cynicism. Uh, on that note, uh, thank you all for uh, reading and or listening to the newsletter. And thanks to those of you especially who are subscribers and especially, especially those of you who are paid subscribers. Uh, if you have not made that jump yet, please consider it. If you enjoy the newsletter and you get some value out of it, uh, it's impossible for me to do it without the support of paid subscribers. So uh, please consider uh, taking that leap. Uh, and uh, with that, until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.